Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he casts out demons. And he called to them, them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an internal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside they sent to him and called him. And the crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is the brother and sister. He is my brother and sister and mother. All right. Well, good morning. Lovely to see you all. It's nice to have most of you inside. Um, I think there's one or two still outside, but um, yeah, welcome. I trust you're all doing well. It's a little loud. Uh, all right. Well, before we begin, uh, just a quick question. Uh, who likes sandwiches? Anyone like sandwiches? Yeah. Who likes toasted sandwiches? Ooh. Who likes uh, fresh sandwiches? Uh, who likes Markin sandwiches? Ah, I caught you out. This morning we are looking at what is called a Markin sandwich. Uh, it is a sandwich that, it's a style in which Mark writes. Um, this is not one that you can eat quite like you eat a sandwich, but it is definitely impressive like a sandwich. Uh, and as the name describes it, uh, that is what Mark has done here. Uh, how is a sandwich constructed? How does it look? Anyone want to depict and paint a picture for us quickly? What's your ultimate sandwich look like? What's the content in the middle? Chicken and mayo. Something nice. Okay, Sean, I'm not going to say that one out loud. <laughs> um, so yeah, there, there seems to be two outside layers and something of good content in the middle, something of important content in the middle. Because um, you wouldn't take two great toppings like, uh, let's say, your cold meats or your chicken mayo and put them on the outside and the bread in the middle, right? That just doesn't make sense. When you make a sandwich, you've got the outside that seems somewhat plain, 
But on the inside, there's something meaty, something good, something that you sink your teeth into and you really realize that there is something of value that makes it a good sandwich. Well, Mark is a master of sandwich building. And in this context, we have a sandwich here in Mark. I hope that actually paints a helpful picture for you. So if you picked it up, there is two outer sections to this. Uh, verses 20 to 21, it reads like this. Then Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said he is out of his mind. And the other slice of bread is in verse 31. Then Jesus' mother and brother arrived, standing outside. They sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brother? My brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. So those are the kind of outside things. There is uh, associates, his family, there's friends. They are coming to seek Jesus to get him out of the situation that he's in. Uh, they think he's out of his mind. He's gone mad. And on the other side, they arrive, and then they want to take him out, and Jesus sends a word back to them. Do you see those two slices on the outside? And on the inside, there is quite a different picture of sorts, but yet highlights something that's on the outside. So let's just quickly read that to keep it running through our our minds. In verse 22, it reads like this, And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebul. Uh, By the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and, uh, and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact... No one can enter a strong man's house uh, without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an impure spirit. So you've got quite an interesting thing happening there in the middle. There's people that have come to him. It sounds like it is the people that Jesus is in the house with in the previous section. But it is most likely a different account entirely that Mark has taken two events where Jesus was in a house, they were sitting around, they were teaching, and there's another event that he is now bringing together to create emphasis. So what the sandwich does, what the pieces of bread, if you want to use that Imagery on the outside does is it heightens and it highlights what's happening on the inside here. This this aspect of what Mark is trying to convey. And really we need to play around with that a little bit this morning and explore it. And hopefully we will find an answer and see how it brings light to what Mark is trying to say. Um, So I hope that helps just to set the scene for us. 
There is maybe disconnects. There are things that might not seem straightforward as you begin to unpack it. But I just want us to see that main structure before we really get underway. So everyone all right? Good? We on board? Okay. Well, before we carry on, I'm going to then pray for us and we'll get, we're going to unpack this a little bit further. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage this morning. I thank you for the incredible uh, word that it holds for us today. Father, I pray that as we turn to it, uh, really our eyes and our hearts may be open to your word, to what it has to say to us. If it is a rebuke that we need to hear, may we hear it. If it's it's a reminder, may we be reminded. Father, I pray that you may ultimately be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have this picture on the outside of uh, Mark's sandwich here. Uh, We have Jesus, his family, his associates, they're coming to seek Jesus. They are wanting to take Jesus out of the circumstance that he's in. So this creates a difficult dynamic for us, firstly. We know that Jesus is set on a course. He has a plan, he has a purpose, he has a mission. He is aiming to do the will of God. And I say aiming because it depends on how these events that we see here is going to unfold. Jesus' purpose here is to declare the good news. And what is the good news? That the kingdom of God is here. That Jesus Christ himself is here. That is the good news. Jesus Christ is Lord, the Son of God, and he is here. And he is going to do something incredible. So this is part of this mission that we see Jesus on. We see snippets of it prior to this passage where you have the demons that have been silenced not to give away who he is just yet because of the time and the place in which he is still ministering. You have the lame uh, the lame or paraplegic man that is suddenly healed, if I recall correctly that one, and he goes out and he speaks when he shouldn't have spoken. And that causes Jesus to be hindered from going on into towns and cities in the area. And so he has to move on. But Jesus is set on a mission on fulfilling God's will. And that will is to declare that the Son of God is here. But to do it in a way that shows that God's kingdom is entering into a world of darkness. A world that has been riddled with sin and death. And the Son of God has come. And so here we have this picture of suddenly Jesus' family, friends, coming to want to take him out of an opportunity where he is ministering. Where he is trying to disciple, to teach, to do all sorts of things. So notice that again. When Jesus entered the house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. And this crowd had gathered around them so much so, I don't know whether it meant that they were cramping in on them, that they couldn't get food off the table. I don't know. It sounds like that. But it is most likely that they were just so demanding of him, of him being there, that they couldn't even have time to eat. And so the family are concerned, the friends are concerned, however your Bible translates it, and maybe family and maybe associates. But his family, as we are going to kind of paint that picture on the other end, they are concerned that he is out of his mind. He's not eating properly. He's not functioning like a normal person, all because of this mission that he is on, this thing 
that he's so convicted by. But we need to come and help him. We need to sort this out before he loses it entirely. On the other end of it, from verse 31, they arrive. And now they're standing outside this house. This time it says it is Jesus' mother and brothers that are standing outside of the house. And now, not able to get in, they send a message in to Jesus saying, tell him that we are outside and he must come outside with us. Because they want to take him away. They have arrived where Jesus has a crowd sitting at his feet where he is teaching. Notice in verse 32, a crowd was sitting around him and they told him, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. They are looking for you because they are wanting to take you away. They are looking for you, and if you listen to them, you will remove yourself from this setting, a place of teaching and sharing the gospel. Notice Jesus' response. He says in verse 33, firstly, Who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. Seems almost somewhat disrespectful at first glance, but Jesus has full understanding of why he is saying what he is saying and notice where he goes with this. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. If you are going to call me out of this out of God's will to sit here, be with you, and teach you, you are taking me away from the very will of God, and that is to share the good news that God's kingdom is here. And what is frightening is when Jesus is sitting here, the parents, the true, his flesh and blood in that sense, are outside saying, come outside, get away, you're losing your mind. And he says, no, the kingdom of God is where I am accepted. That's the picture that it begins to paint. Here he is, sitting with a crowd at his feet, being accepted, and he says, you are my true family. All those that hear, all those that eventually believe, all those that trust in me, all those that are holding on to this truth, you are my family. It's not a flesh and blood thing, Well, it becomes a flesh and blood thing as well. But you who believe that the kingdom of God is near and ultimately that he is the king of that kingdom, you are my family. So, pretty incredible. I think this is like a toasted sandwich. Pretty good outside. And then what we get on the inside just expands all the more for us. Now, if you think... Just to make one connection, if you think that this is drawing a parallel between who's inside and outside, and those that are outside are actually doing the wrong thing, and those that are inside are doing the right thing, it becomes a little bit complicated. Because if you notice in 22, it says, And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebul. Now it seems as though they are the ones inside. So we must be careful that we don't assume that those are inside are in the right position, in the right standing. 
But here Jesus is addressing the entire issue of who is for God, for his will, or who is against God and against his will. So yeah, let's pick that up again. So, And the teachers of the law who came down from uh, Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebul, by the prince of demons. He is driving out demons. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? So Jesus begins, uh, this is the first time in Mark that he starts with the parable teachings. And what's significant about this is if you think about just the logic of it, it's rather perplexing. The teachers of the law see Jesus and they say, you are using, as he says there, you are possessed by Beelzebul. And you are driving out demons with that power. Now, you are possessed by a demon driving out demons. And Jesus says, how can that be? How, how, how does that work? Why would Satan possess and then use that to drive out Satan's minions? This becomes an issue with how they're thinking about Jesus. So they're accusing Jesus of something. They're trying to accuse him of something and saying, you are possessed by Beelzebub, the prince of the demons, and you're driving out demons. Which doesn't actually add up. And so Jesus addresses that. If a kingdom is divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. If you are saying what you're saying, and it is true... Satan is half defeated because he's already defeating himself. Because if Satan's kingdom is run by demons and I am the prince, I'm possessed by the prince of demons and I'm driving out demons, then I'm defeating my own kingdom, as you kind of define it. And then he carries on. Notice he says it three times, if the first time wasn't enough. It says, if a kingdom is divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, the house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. So if there's division, can it stand? No. <laughs> he says it three times to reiterate how that is not possible. He is emphasizing the fact that he is not acting on Satan's behalf. He is acting as, well, he doesn't use these words, but he is the Son of God who is coming to tie up the strong man. That's what he is going to paint now. But notice the language. It seems somewhat confusing. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house, verse 27, without first tying him up. Whose house is Jesus in? Now, it's interesting, the house language. So it starts, Jesus is in a house, but now he's talking about another house. What is this house that Jesus is talking about? This is the house that is the world. world that is occupied by Satan, by corruption, by evil. And he's saying, I'm entering in to tie up that strong man. There's a picture there that we see how he is entering to tie up. 
Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Kind of have this beautiful image that he is saying, I've broken in, I've tied him up, or I'm going to tie him up, and I'm going to steal back everyone and everything that he has stolen from me. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven, he moves on, of all their sins and every slander they utter. Why does he shift suddenly? Because the one who comes in to deal with this issue is dealing with something that is in the heart of us. It's dealing with something that is at our core a problem. And that is sin. And he says here, truly I tell you, people can be forgiven of all their sins and every slander they utter. So as he breaks into this world, as he comes in, as he is going to deal with this wickedness in this world, there is forgiveness. There is forgiveness from the very depths of where we have fallen into. But notice he throws something else in there. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of eternal sins. Now, this seems like an incredibly frightening statement that Jesus does put out there. It seems shocking, if not the least. Because immediately we read it and we say we can actually commit a sin that will exclude us from God. An eternal sin. It's the unforgivable sin. And suddenly we get frightened by this idea. If that stirs you, if that gets you a little bit nervous, anyone feel a little bit nervous by that statement? Good. You're in a good position to feel nervous. Because it means that you actually take this seriously. It means this is important to you. It means that you're not taking what Jesus is saying lightly. But it also means you're probably more concerned about him. (laughs) Hopefully. Or you're aware of your own brokenness. And that's a good step to have. To really weigh up your own brokenness, your own sinfulness, and recognize that the only one that can truly save is Jesus Christ. But what does it mean? Why does he put it in here that he says, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven? Well, in the context of what he's saying here in the middle of the sandwich, Notice that you have the teachers of the law that are coming in and they are saying what you are doing. This man, who Mark has told us is the son of God, you are wicked. You have an evil spirit in you. That is essentially what they say. And he says, if that's what you think of me, be warned. This is dangerous territory that you go into. If you think that Jesus is evil... If you think that he is wicked, if you think that he is somehow connected to Satan and his plans and schemes, then you are misguided. You are in dangerous water. If you are pursuing things that are powered by wickedness and evil and enjoy it, You are in danger. If you are serving someone else other than the Lord God, you are in danger. 
But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. What does it mean then, ultimately, to blaspheme the Holy Spirit? Well, we today can kind of work it backwards. We can see an incredible picture given to us. Before Jesus ascends, what does he tell us? He tells us in the Gospels that he is going to give us a gift. He is going to give us someone who is going to help us, that is going to minister to us, and he is going to give us the Holy Spirit, who is the seal, the seal for the day of redemption, the seal for the day that we will be restored. The Holy Spirit is the one who draws us and keeps us part of his kingdom, part of God's will and plan. If we reject his spirit, we by default will reject the Son. And therefore we will not be able to come to the Father. If you reject the very spirit of Christ, there is no way to come to the Father. You reject the one You reject them all. And here they are accusing Jesus of acting entirely by other powers, other than by the Lord God himself. He carries on in verse 30 and he says, He said this because they were saying he has an impure spirit. The issue here is to think that Jesus Christ came into this world and did anything other than God's will would be to blaspheme against God, against the Holy Spirit, against Jesus. Jesus came into this world to do the Father's will. That's why it ends off when he looks at the crowd and he says, you, uh, you are my brothers, my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my, my brother and sister and mother. There is an issue of will here. The will of God is to declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that his kingdom is found in him. And if you declare anything other than that, you are in danger of blaspheming. You are in danger of never entering the kingdom of God. There's a flip side to it. Because before getting into the kingdom, he's going to make sure that whoever comes into the kingdom will not be divided within the kingdom. If you stand against the kingdom, you will not be part of the kingdom. A house that is divided cannot stand. If you are against God's kingdom, if you are against his will in Jesus Christ, if you are against his Holy Spirit drawing you in and being part of this family, the house will become divided. And for that reason, you do not have a place. So the danger here is really looking at the disciples. They're accusing Jesus of being demonic, of being evil, by saying he is doing what he is doing by an impure spirit, as he says. 
But then you have the subtle thing happening on the outside with his family who is saying, come with us. Come with us rather because what you're doing, you're losing your mind. And that would be a deviation from God's will. And that borders on unintentionally doing something that is really, really terrifying. It borders on blaspheming the Holy Spirit. When you step in to deviate anyone from the will of God. And when I say the will of God, declaring that Jesus Christ is Lord. Inviting people into the kingdom. Anything that falls into that category becomes grounds for blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Notice how Jesus handles an example of this. And I just want to highlight for us one in Mark 8. He deals with it quickly. He deals with it swiftly. He shows that there is reminder needed, but it's not something to be dragged out. Mark 8:33. Peter, in all of his eagerness, as fantastic as he is, has foot-and-mouth syndrome, And gets ahead of himself. Picking up in verse 31, he says, He then began to teach them that he, the Son of Man, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. This is part of God's will. He spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But then Jesus turned and looked at him, uh, looked at his disciples. He rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan. He said, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Someone that steps in gets rebuked by Jesus. Someone that thinks they are good intentions trying to deviate Jesus from God's very will, gets rebuked. And his words are strong as he says, Get behind me, Satan. Because the way you are speaking now is not in line with the will of God, but in line with the will of Satan. Strong words. But that is the danger when we step in and we deviate from the will of God. When I say that from the will of who Jesus Christ is as Lord and Savior, when we step in and deviate from that, we are doing something terrible. So may we not draw people away from God's will, and that is to draw people into his kingdom, part of his family, to sit at his feet, to be called brothers sisters, mothers of his kingdom. Let us sit at his feet. Let us declare the will of God. Let us declare Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and nothing less. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we Thank you for your word. Perhaps it is something that we need to go and think on, reflect on. Maybe there are areas in our lives where 
we have subtly been deviating from your will. Help us to come back to you. Help us to come back to declaring you as Lord and Savior, as King of your kingdom, as the only true God. Father, I pray that we won't be distracted or deceived by schemes in this world. But to know that Jesus Christ has come in, that he has bound the strong man, that he has come in and given us an opportunity to be saved, to become part of this family. May we joyfully sit at your feet and declare your good news. Rejoice in your good news. Worship you for who you are. Father, I pray that we may find joy and comfort and peace in this. That we may know that we can be part of this family. This peculiar bunch of people coming together that are not bound necessarily by flesh and blood in this world, but by the blood of Jesus Christ. So, Father, I do pray that this morning you may move our hearts and our minds to really reflect on you and your will. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.